Hi, we're still going live on YouTube now. You're live. Now we're live on YouTube, so hopefully it's working. And can everybody hear me? All right, I see people checking in on TikTok. Nobody on. Nobody on YouTube yet. Okay, yes, you can hear me. Good, at least they can hear me on one side of it. All right, I'm Patrick McGeehan, and this is Law and the Life Podcast Live that I try to do every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Um, I'm a lawyer in Miami, Florida. I handle cases throughout South Florida, mainly Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. I do family law, criminal law, and personal injury cases. And tonight's topic is, well, before we get into tonight's topic, which is the red flag laws or the extreme risk protection orders or the gun confiscation laws, a couple of questions to address from last week's episode that came in after the episode. And then at the end, I'll take questions or at appropriate time, I'll take questions from you guys regarding this. Um, the questions that came in last week, if you didn't tune in last week, last week was about auto accidents. And one of the questions that came in is, have you ever seen anybody that was killed in an auto accident from wearing a seatbelt? And no, I haven't. I haven't seen anybody killed because they were wearing a seatbelt. I've seen a lot of people killed because they weren't wearing a seatbelt or they were improperly wearing a seatbelt. And one of the bad things about not wearing a seatbelt or improperly wearing a seatbelt, especially when you have a car that has airbags in it, is the airbag can kill you. The airbag and the seatbelt are designed to work in conjunction with each other to uh, deaden the impact and absorb the energy before it gets to your body. And if you don't have the seatbelt properly on or you don't have it on at all and you move forward in a, you know, a frontal collision, into that steering wheel where that airbag deploys from, it deploys at a speed between 100 and 200 miles an hour. And I saw a case that I can remember very vividly is a guy got hit in the chest by the airbag when it deployed. It didn't look like a bad injury. Of course, he was dead on the scene. It didn't look like a bad injury. It just looked like some bruising right here on his chest. When we got to the medical examiner's office and did the autopsy, there was a hole in his chest right here, big enough to put my fist in. And basically it sent shrapnel into his chest cavity, it's into his organs. So the bottom line is make sure you wear your seatbelt. And especially if you have airbags, don't get killed by your own safety devices. And now moving on to the red flag laws or the gun confiscation orders, or as we call them here in Florida, extreme risk protection orders. In 2018, there was a shooting at a high school in Parkland, Florida, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, which prompted uh, this law and several others to come out shortly thereafter. And basically what it is, is um, we call it extreme risk protection orders. Other states call them red flag laws, gun confiscation orders. There's currently 17 states that have them in place. I think Colorado just came on and they're they haven't implemented it yet, but they passed it, and Virginia just passed one, I think, last week. Um, the one in Virginia and the one in Colorado, I don't think, have gone into uh, into effect yet. So what we have here in Florida is our, our extreme risk protection orders are listed under Chapter 79401, which is the weapons chapter of the Florida statutes. And it's added in there. And in order to get one of these these court orders, the person who is the petitioner has to be a law enforcement agency or a law enforcement officer. In some states, it can be a family member or a neighbor or anybody else. You know, if your spouse gets mad at you or your ex-spouse gets mad at you or Aunt Sally gets mad at you, she can go down and file for one of these uh, extreme risk protection orders in other states, but not in Florida. In Florida, only a law enforcement officer or law enforcement agency can file these as the petitioner. Now, of course, Aunt Sally can make the call, your spouse can make the call to the police, and they can come out and they can subsequently file it. But it has to be a law enforcement officer agency that files it. So what does that mean? Well, in the cases that are coming in, the county attorneys, the city attorneys, and the police department attorneys are representing the agency and the officers in these petitions. So whenever you have one of these cases, the petitioner side is always gonna have a lawyer. You're not, Florida doesn't appoint lawyers for civil actions and this is a civil action. So if you want a lawyer, you have to hire your own lawyer. Now these orders can be permanent 
or they can be temporary in nature and they can be ex parte. So what does that mean? That means the petitioner, the police department or the officer files a petition, provides testimony for it to a judge and the judge can issue a temporary order based just on what the law enforcement officer or the agency says. You don't get a say whatsoever. You don't even know this is going on because you haven't got a notice of the hearing yet. And you have no clue that this is even happening until you get served with it. So if the judge finds that a temporary is proper, the judge will issue this temporary order. Then the police or the sheriff will come out to your house or your work or wherever they find you and personally serve you with the petition, the temporary order, and the notice of hearing that's coming up for the full-blown hearing on, on the case. Now, if the judge doesn't agree that the petitioner, the law enforcement officer agency has satisfied their the standard and met the standard, they won't issue it. Then they'll issue a notice of hearing, they'll issue an order of denial of the temporary and can set it for final hearing if the petitioner wants to go through that way. What's specific, what's interesting about these orders is per the statute, these orders in these cases are all done in the domestic violence court. So you're going to have a domestic violence judge, basically a family law judge, that is going to be hearing these cases. It's not in criminal court. It's in civil family court for these cases, same as domestic violence. Um, who, Where can they file these cases? They can file these cases where the law enforcement agency is or where the respondent is. The respondent is the person who the case is against. So, for example, if the law enforcement agency is in Broward County, say Broward County Sheriff's Office, but the person who they're seeking the petition against is in Naples, they can file in Naples or they can file in um, Broward County. I would guess under those circumstances, the Broward County Sheriff's Office would contact the Collier County Sheriff's Office and Collier County would file it over there. I see most of, of these, I can see where most of these would be filed where the petitioner lives. Um, it does not require a bond. You, so you can get this, this injunctive relief without posting a bond whatsoever. Another interesting thing about it is if they're wrong and they put you through this process and this rigmarole, even if they're wrong, you can't get attorney's fees against them. There's no prevailing party fees or anything like that. It's specific in the statute that attorney fees may not be awarded in any proceeding under this section. So you can't seek attorney's fees. If you want an attorney, you can hire an attorney, but of course you're going to be paying for your own attorney. Okay, so what does a petition have to have in it? These are the elements of the petition that they have to allege. They have to allege, number one, that there's a significant danger of causing personal injury to yourself or somebody else by having a firearm or ammunition in your custody or control. That purchasing, possessing, receiving a firearm or ammunition, you could place somebody else or yourself in danger, which you could be in danger of suicide or somebody else. Those have to be sworn to in an affidavit that's attached to the to the petition. They have to identify the quantities, types, and locations of firearms and ammunition the petitioner believes that are in the respondent's current ownership, possession, custody, or control. Let's talk about that for a moment. I researched, I did some research before this, and a lot of the cases that they're filing under this statute and under this law are people that don't own guns. Nowhere in the statute does it say you have to be a gun owner. You just have to be a significant danger or yourself or to somebody else if you had a gun in your possession. So they're filing these cases against, you know, middle schoolers, elementary school, you know, school kids that make these threats of shooting somebody. And there's no requirement whatsoever to have a gun, to own a gun. You may have never touched a gun. You may have never even seen a gun in real life. And if they can convince a judge that you were a significant danger to yourself or somebody else, if you had a gun and ammunition, they can go and get, they can apply for one of these orders or petition for one of these orders. And that's a very interesting aspect. There was an article that was in Naples where 
majority of the people that were on a particular day at these hearings that the reporter went to were non-gun owners. Most of them were kids, uh, mentally disturbed adults, and uh, some other type of person that they described, but I don't remember what it was. But a lot of them were non-gun owners. Uh, let's see. All right, you can't be charged. This, these cases are free for the filing. The petitioner, the law enforcement agency, or the officer don't have to pay a fee. It's in the statute. There are no charges. You just go down there and do it, much like domestic violence injunctions. They don't have to post the bond. Well, what does that mean? In a lot of cases, when you're petitioning for injunctive relief, you have to post a bond. You have to put up some money in case there's damages that are caused by the injunctive relief that you're seeking. Um, in these cases, you don't, as well as in domestic violence cases. You never have to post the bond in domestic violence case. All right, so what happens? So when the, when the court enters a temporary order, you're going to be served with the temporary order, the petition, and the notice of hearing, the final hearing. The final hearing is 14 days later. It can be no later than 14 days. You can request a continuance or whatever. I haven't been to one of these hearings. They don't do them a lot down here. I haven't, I, I don't even know anybody that's been to one of these hearings, but they are going on. I know in Broward County, Broward County says they do about one a day. Um, they tend to, in domestic violence court, which these are in the domestic violence court, like I said, they tend to special set hearings if they don't have enough time for you to complete your defense of this or your presentation of your side of the case. They seem to be pretty liberal on that and will accommodate you in time. But anyway, the first hearing has to be within 14 days, and that's apparently because of the due process issues that come up. Um, when the when the police officer or the law enforcement officer files these cases, they don't have to go down to the courthouse and testify to the judge. The way it's working, from what I understand in Miami-Dade County, my research has, has told me that the police are sending the paperwork to the judge along with the affidavits, and they're doing it by phone. So somewhere on the calendar, the judge gets on with the phone, on the phone with the police officer or the, the county attorney or city attorney and is hearing that ex parte testimony and making a decision based on that. Um, and that's in the statute that it can be done by phone. So what's the standard of evidence in these hearings? The standard evidence in these hearings is clear and convincing evidence, which is different than a criminal case. A criminal case is beyond a reasonable doubt a civil case is a preponderance of the evidence, which is 50, more than 50%. So this is in between a preponderance of evidence and reasonable doubt in the middle there. Uh, the, court, the courts can consider any relevant evidence, including but not limited to. And these are some of the things that they, they can consider. There's seven factors that they can consider, but they can basically consider anything. Anything that's relevant to the case, the judge can consider. A recent actor threat, which, you know, is example is these people on social media, this is, you know, I'm gonna shoot you or I'm gonna blow you up or whatever, that, that would satisfy that. An act or threat of violence within the past 12 months. So there's a retroactive aspect to that where they can go back you know, look through your social media history, do their investigation. If they find something in the last 12 months, they can use that against you. Evidence of mental illness, a serious mental illness, or reoccurring mental health issues. If you're in and out of the hospital, you've been Baker acted repeatedly, then that's that's part of the criteria that they can use. They can use that against you. Violation of a risk protection order or a no contact order under the other statutes of 784, which are domestic violence. So if you had one of these risk protection orders, you violate it, they can use that for evidence against you. If you have a domestic violence case, you had a domestic violence arrest, the judge issues in those cases, no contact orders. If you violate that, that's evidence in this case. Previous existence of risk protection orders against you. So if you've had, if you, you know, time goes on and you had one years, you know, we're years down the road. And if you had one now, they could use that as evidence against you. Violation of the previous risk protection order we already went over. Uh, whether the respondent in this state or another state has been convicted in adjudication, withheld or pled no, no low to a crime that constitutes domestic violence. 
So if you've ever been arrested for domestic violence anywhere and they find out about it, they can use that as evidence against you in this particular case. That's different than in a domestic violence case. You, in, in civil cases, there's a rule of procedure and there's, there's the evidence code where you can't necessarily bring in past bad acts to prove a case and you can't use character evidence and, and stuff like that. Uh, another factor is has used or threatened to use a weapon against yourself or somebody else, you know, threatening suicide or threatening somebody else with a weapon. The reoccurring use of threat to use physical force by the respondent, that's the person who's it's against, against another person or the respondent stalking another person. So if, you know, you're following your girlfriend around and you that can be used against you. They can also use any other arrest. If you've ever been arrested, convicted, or had adjudication withheld or pled no contest to a crime involving violence or threats anywhere else. It doesn't have to be domestic violence. It can be anywhere, any type, any type of crime of violence. Uh, evidence of abuse of a controlled substance. Evidence of recent acquisition of firearms. So if you just went out and bought one, you threatened somebody two weeks earlier, that all comes in that they can use against you. Um, relevant information from household members, relevant information from witnesses. Uh, recommendations by an officer of the court they can use. That's the recommendations have to be in writing. And as I said before, the stat, the, specifically the statute says, in a hearing under this section, the rules of evidence apply to the same extent as they do in a domestic violence injunction hearing. So if you've ever had any experience with a domestic violence injunction hearing, this is going to be very, very similar to it. As I said before, when the, if the judge issues a temporary risk protection order, they don't have to notify you. You get no say in the temporary part of it of it being issued. You don't get in the court and you don't get to go in the court at that time and defend yourself or your case at all. And like I said, you may not even know that that is going on. <sighs> Let's see. They will give you, if, it, if an order is entered, the orders, if a permanent order is entered, it's good for one year. They will entertain one written request to vacate the order. After that, you have to wait the 12 months, the one year. The police department or officers can extend it. So if you're in the 11th month, they still think you're a danger, they can go back in and extend it. The hearing, the hearing to readdress or try to vacate the order must be no sooner than 14 days or later than 13 days. Same standard applies. It's clear and convincing. So you have to present, if you move to vacate this order, you have to present clear and convincing evidence that you are not a significant danger to yourself or other and all those elements, address all those elements that were previously described that applied in your particular case. Anytime, before the end, 30 days before the end of the order. So in the 11th month, like I said, the police department or officer can go back for an extension and they can get an extended for another 12 months. And then every, you know, every 11 months, they can go in and get an extended if they think you're still a, a, danger, a significant danger to yourself or somebody else. And again, you know, they have to have, they have to have evidence and a reason why it's just not like, Hey, we'd like to have it extended. They'd have to go in and say, we, we'd like to have it extended. We want it extended because this still exists. Um, here's the evidence of this still exists. And that evidence has to be clear and convincing. So what happens What happens if one of these orders is against is entered against you? you you're served with it. They issue a um, either a temporary or a permanent order. And you do the, old, you know, I lost my guns in a boating accident. You know, I sold all my guns or whatever. There's a specific allowance in the statute that allows them to seek a search warrant to make sure. 
They can seek a search warrant from the court for firearms and ammunition that you own if the officer has probable cause to believe that you're still in possession, custody or control of the firearms and they have not been surrendered. So this is right now where they're gonna come out to your house and they're gonna make sure that you don't have any weapons in your possession. You know, they're gonna execute a search warrant. And they have, when, when a judge issues a search warrant, they have very broad authority. They can search anywhere for these weapons, which they could be hidden. And some of these weapons are very small, so they can search very small places. And guess what, if they happen to find something else, they have to find if they happen to find some other type of contraband they're going to be charged with that also i have a lot of notes here on my research on this particular statute all right when you when you turn in your guns if you get if you get a temporary permit when you turn in your guns you also have to surrender your concealed weapons permit if you have one the department of agriculture has to suspend it Suspend your concealed weapon permit. You can reinstate it only after only after the case is over, like after the 12 months. If the injunction expires, the extreme risk protection order expires, you can have the Department of Agriculture. The Department of Agriculture is supposed to reinstate it. The a law enforcement officer, when they enter one of these, a law enforcement officer has to make a good faith effort to notify a family or household member that it is being entered and that the temporary or permanent is being entered. What happens when you surrender your weapons? The police department has to keep them. If the case ends, like say 12 months, the order expires, the police department doesn't petition to have it extended. You don't get another one. You have to claim your firearm within one year. If not, the police or the sheriff's office can destroy it. They're no longer required to hold on to it. Whatever their um, policies and procedures are for destroying these weapons or disposing of these weapons apply. Now, you can also transfer the firearms and ammunition to a third party. Now, in a domestic violence case, under the statute and under the petitions and the orders, you can, in lieu of surrendering them to a law enforcement agency, you can transfer weapons to a third party who is allowed to possess weapons, who agrees to take the weapons, you know, such as, you know, another family member, your uncle in like Ocala or something. He could take possession of these weapons. You have to do an affidavit for it and notify the court. In, this, in these risk protection orders, there's a provision for third party transfer. But you have to turn them in, you have to surrender them initially to the police department. There's no way getting around surrendering them to the police department under these orders. The person, let's, so let's say your Uncle Joe in Ocala says, hey, I'll take the weapons, I'll keep them from you. You know, they have to, they have to be reassured that they're going to keep them from you. He has to be legally authorized to have weapons in his possession, so he can't be an unauthorized person because they have to do a background check before they release them. Um, the, the police department, the law enforcement agency will facilitate the transfer if the person is eligible um, and attest to, which basically says they're going to have to do an affidavit that says, hey, I'll keep these in my possession and I won't let Bob anywhere near them. Those, those are the main things. Um, the rest are reporting orders, the penalties, you know, if you violate one of these orders, the penalties, it's a third degree felony. Uh, let's see anything interesting else in my notes. That's it. There's only been, there's been two appellate cases regarding this statute. One was in October of 2019 in the third district court of appeals, which is Dade and Monroe County down here. And the Coral Gables Police Department versus Tomeo. It's a per curiam opinion where they just affirm the court's findings. Um, you know, apparently they entered an they entered an order against Mr. Tomeo. He appealed it, and the court said, "Too bad, everything's fine." They affirmed it. The only other case is in the First District Court of Appeals, which is North Florida. It's Gainesville, um, Jacksonville, Tallahassee, Pensacola, the whole Panhandle. And if you, you're familiar with that area, like Jacksonville and a little bit west, 
I guess almost to Tallahassee is like South Georgia. And then the rest of the panhandle is more like South Alabama. And uh, the case in the first district court of appeals was Davis versus Gilcrest County Sheriff's Office. And this is an interesting case because it involves a sheriff's deputy. Apparently the sheriff's deputy was dating another deputy, another female as a male sheriff's deputy that was dating a female sheriff's deputy. They split up. He lost his bananas, made a bunch of threats, uh, told the sheriff and the supervisor, you know, that he had these bad thoughts about shooting and all this other stuff. And the sheriff, the sheriff and the sheriff's attorney, uh, filed the petition against their own deputy and they were granted after a hearing, they were granted a, uh, a permanent, well, for 12 months, what they call a permanent extreme risk protection order against the deputy. And I'm assuming that he was fired because once you're, once you get one of these against you, there's no exceptions for law enforcement. So if you're law enforcement and you get in one of these orders against you, you're basically incapacitated from doing your job and chances are your agency is going to fire you. The facts in the case, um, you know, it was a long-term relationship. He's, she was work one day she was working. He was off duty. He went to her. He threatened her. He threatened another officer who attempted to intervene. He damaged some property. I'll just go through this real quick. He damaged some property in a filing cabinet. He fell to the floor. He texts the sheriff saying he needs some help. Something bad's going to happen. He told the sheriff he was going to kill his girlfriend. He says he's going to kill himself. He told the sheriff that he would use his police-issued gun that's in his car. He said the same thing to two other deputies. Basically, they Baker acted him. The sheriff's office, the sheriff ordered his deputies, I guess, to take him and Baker act him. He was released from the Baker Act and determined not to be a risk. So he went to trial in this case. He brought in a psychiatrist or a psychologist that he was seeing to testify as an expert witness on his behalf. Um, it was an abuse of discretion was the reason, I think it was, the reason for appeal was due process and abuse of discretion. They upheld both of them. Um, since this is done in domestic, but they, there's been numerous appeals on Due process, the due process issue, due process issue for domestic violence cases. This appeal was similar. They upheld the statute on the grounds of due process. That's in the first DCA. Um, I, I looked through the docket. I didn't see where they appealed to the Supreme Court. I think they just let it drop there, and they're not going any further. They made a constitutional challenge. The statute was vague see here they made the constitutional value the constitutional argument that the statute was vague and um, violates substantive due processes and over and is overbroad the first DCA found it to be not vague fairly specific and uh, applicable in this case they cite a bunch of cases in the opinion one of them of interest is the FOP Miami versus the city of Miami, which I think is always great when you see Miami cases and appellate opinions, especially in the northern part of the state. And basically the end result, <coughs> the end result is the first DCA affirmed. No other, I couldn't find any other cases on the Florida court website where they dealt with these um, in appeals. There may be some pending, but I don't, I didn't see any on my research that I did this week. Um, if, an, if, another, if another DCA finds something different, let's say the fifth DCA takes up the case and they find it violates due process or the statute is vague or some other constitutional issue, that'll cause a conflict between the, the DCAs and then it'll probably go to the Supreme Court and they'll have the final say on it. Um, and there you have it. These are very popular with the, uh, you know, the gun control movement. Um, you know, Virginia is going through this now, along with a bunch of other statutes that they're implementing. So, you know, always be careful who you're voting for. Um, a consideration in these cases is 
this these statutes are so new and like i said before i don't know anybody that's even handled one of them i've never seen one come up in court while i was there i don't know if they have special dockets for them um some of the research i did was online news articles and there was one in september in the sun sentinel where broward county says that they're doing about one a day that since the statute was implemented about 2000 guns have been confiscated uh how, how's it being used surprisingly Broward County, Dade County, and Palm Beach County aren't really using them all that much. Uh, Broward County was 13th statewide. Uh, Hillsborough County, which is Tampa, was 35th. Miami-Dade was 39th. Palm Beach was 44th. And Orange was 53rd. That's per capita. One county that is using a lot is Polk County. And Polk County is Lakeland, where Sheriff Grady Judd is. And he's like America's sheriff. Everybody in Florida loves Sheriff Judd. But he is using them significantly. He, sheriff Judd was on the Parkland, uh, the Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Commission, and this was one of his recommendations. So he's using them big time up there. Uh, according to the chief judge in Palm Beach or chief judge in, in Broward County, they're seeing about one of these cases a day. Florida has 67 counties. Um, Baker County has never, Baker County is west of Jacksonville, up, up close to the Georgia line. They've never had one. And then it goes into how they work, which we already discussed. Florida is one, at the time, one of 15 states. I think it's 17 now because they added Colorado and uh, Virginia to the list. So what are some of the other considerations that happens when one of these orders is again, entered against you? Something you have to consider is if you're going to hire a lawyer, lawyers are expensive. Trust me, I know. I've hired lawyers. I send out the bills every month to my clients. Lawyers are very expensive. If you get jacked up on one of these and let's say, you know, you have a $400 Glock and that's the only gun you have, does it make sense to hire a lawyer and pay him thousands of dollars to try to get your Glock back? Um, that's outside of, you know, the Second Amendment, the constitutional rights infringement that's involved. That's a money argument to it because I could see one of these cases costing, you know, five, ten thousand dollars to fight. And that's, you know, that's expensive. And remember, if you go alone, you're going up against a lawyer who is doing these all the time, at least once per day. So they're going to have the experience and you're basically going to be in there and try to fend for yourself. And from what I see, pro se clients, people that represent themselves against the government don't often win. Um, and one of the things that does say, does say in another article here from Naples is that you know, 99% of them are, are getting entered. A lot of people are agreeing to them and not fighting them. And they're just going, yeah, okay. I'm supposing a lot of those people are non-gun owners or people that may own, you know, one or two guns. And I could see if you had like a big gun collection where you had tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars in guns where you would want to fight this, you know, to the, to the hill to protect that. Because, you know, if the police impound your guns, they're going to throw them in a box and transport them to the property room. And if you have classic guns and expensive guns, they're going to get all scratched up and torn up. Um, that's it. As far as, as my research goes on this case, like I said, I've never handled one of these cases. I've never even heard of one of these cases coming up in court while I was there. And I don't know any other lawyers that are handling it, handling these cases, at least not regularly. Um, they seem to be very sporadic. Uh, sparsely used, but in the cases where they are being used, at least according to the news media's research, they are being entered almost all the time, like 99% of the time. So I'll turn it over. Let's see. Let's go for questions on, on YouTube. How do you do a live? Well, where you go up to, on YouTube, you do it to, where you go up to add a video, there's also a live button. So click on the add a video and then click on the live. All right, Andrew says that's crazy at all. This is happening, and the person has no clue what's happening. Yeah, you have no clue. I mean, you're not you don't get any notice whatsoever when they go for the temporary. That's all ex parte and out of your purview. Let's go back to TikTok. 
and see. I know my Irish girl is here. I saw her go over. So I'm always welcoming her. You're my best friend at your worst time. Yes, I am. Thank you. I'm glad you watch my videos. I'm glad you enjoy them. Uh, what's the statute? Auto accidents. I'm guessing you're asking for statute of limitations in Florida. It's four years. A no contact order. A no contact order is an order that's entered in a, a domestic violence case, whether it's misdemeanor or felony in the criminal side. So if you're arrested for domestic violence in Florida, you have to go before a judge before you can get out of jail. When you go before the judge that first time, they're going to enter a no contact order and they're going to set your release conditions. And it basically says you can't go within 500 feet or 1,000 feet of the person who's the alleged victim. So that's a no contact order different from a domestic violence injunction. Can you summarize all 10 of the Bill of Rights? Yes, I can. Uh, Toronto, love learning about the law, although it's not Canadian law, it's Florida law. Let's see here. I only know Florida law. Uh, that's and, and specifically family law, criminal law, and uh, personal injury law. Do you have a robe? Yeah, after I, after I get out of the shower, I have a robe. All right, is there a peace bond? Is a peace bond a good idea for a married couple having trouble? I don't know what you mean by that. So if you can expand upon that a little bit, maybe maybe I can answer it. All right. Marriage counseling. Eh. This this is this is my position on marriage counseling. Go to marriage counseling if you want to go to marriage counseling before you ever talk about getting a divorce. Because it's been my experience through my clients is once you bring up the divorce, you may as well uh you may as well declare martial law and World War III with your spouse because it's, it's going to bring up some bad stuff. So it's a preemptive move. Yeah, the risk protection orders are preemptive. That's why they're so popular with the with the gun control side. You know, the theory behind them is that they're preemptive. They're, the, the law in Florida hasn't been in place long enough to gather solid statistics on it. The statistics that are out there, I mean, there hasn't been, at least that I could find, anything recent um, since September. I think that was the most recent article that I looked at. Lisa, how are you today? I'm fine. I'm glad you came in to join me. Trucker67, thank you for the education. Hey, thank you for watching, man. The biggest Miami fan. I hope you're talking about the you when you say Miami fan. Hello, how are you? Thanks for coming in. Always good to see my peeps from Miami. Let's see. Let me get to another question. Do they get them back? You get your guns back when the order expires in 12 months if the petitioner doesn't petition to have it extended. You get it back. You have to get it back within a year. If you don't get it back within a year, the police can dispose of it. If the order expires, they have a year or else they get destroyed. That is correct. You have to pick your gun up. Once the order expires and you are eligible, I mean, you have to pass a background check when you go to pick your gun up. Once the order expires, if you are a permitted person or you're legally allowed to own and possess firearms and ammunition and you pass the background check, the police will give it back to you and it'll be all scratched up from them throwing it around the property though. Especially if you have a cool gun, because they're going to shoot it. Because I know people, I know people that worked in, in forensics and stored all these, all these guns, you know, before this came in in the police department. Because I used to be a policeman. I was a Miami Dade policeman for years and years and years, and I was in homicide for the last ten years of my career. Um, they take these guns and they store them in the property room. And if it's a really cool gun, they're going to come out and they're going to shoot it and they're going to play with your gun. Leos need probable cause. I mean, for arrest, they need probable cause. I don't. I don't understand Toronto's question, but if you can expand on that, maybe I can answer it for you. All right. What is, wait, we had a rule here. What's the rule if you have a waiver of appearance and a judge orders a capius because the attorney didn't inform? If you, oh, in, in Florida law, and I only know Florida law, if your attorney waives your appearance, your, for, first of all, your attorney has to get permission under the rules. Your, your attorney has to get the court's permission to waive your appearance. 
So here's how it goes. You file a motion. The attorney files a motion to waive the defendant's appearance if it's a misdemeanor per, you know, per trial, pre-trial, and sometimes at trial in misdemeanors. Usually in felonies, they won't, they won't do trials in abstention and you have to appear. But in misdemeanors, you can waive your client's appearance. You write the motion and you also file a waiver of appearance signed by the, uh, the client, which would be you, the defendant. And you file that together. And when you go to the first hearing, I usually have those filed the day before arraignment. And in arraignment, I go in, I waive my client's appearance. The reason I do that is because let's say we have court on Tuesday, you're coming down to the courthouse and you get in an accident and you're not able to call me and tell me you don't appear in court, the judge is going to issue a warrant for you. That's, that's the problem. And that's why I always do waiver appearance just in case. I tell my clients, you're free to come to any court hearing, but let's do this just in case something bad happens and it protects you. So if you, if you sign a waiver of appearance, but the court hasn't granted your waiver of appearance, they can issue a warrant if you fail to appear. If you, if they granted the waiver of appearance, your attorney can just appear for you and they won't issue a warrant. Irish, glad to be here. I'm glad you finally made it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for your positivity. It's a great thing. I'm a very positive guy. I'm a very happy guy. Um, people, people say it's, I'm disgustingly happy, but it wasn't always that way. It took a lot of hard work, let me tell you. And I just try to share that. It's, I'm of the opinion that if you have knowledge or you have some type of ability you have a moral duty to share it. You have to, you have to share. Like if you're a great welder, you should be teaching people how to weld. If you're a math teacher, you should be tutoring in math. And that's just the way I feel. All right. In Florida. Yes, that's in Florida. All right. Toronto, man. Let me see. I lost you again. If a cop is investigating you, I hope they never investigate me. Uh, why would they wait until right before you are moving before charging you? No idea. No idea. It's too bad the weapons are destroyed. They're destroyed if you don't pick them up. They will be destroyed. Some police departments, weapons that are taken, my understanding is weapons that are taken in a breach of peace have to be destroyed. But if they're impound for security reasons or whatever, um, safe storage, anything like that, they can be sold. All right, Southern Bell, if they have a warrant for somebody's arrest, do they still have to read you your rights? Once again, I only know Florida law. Here's how rights work. If the police are going to conduct a custodial interrogation and ask you incriminating questions, they have to, they have to advise you of your Miranda rights. And to proceed forward with that question, you have to knowingly voluntarily and intelligently intelligently waive those rights. If they're arresting you for a warrant or they're arresting you on probable cause on an investigation they've already done, and they're not going to ask you any questions other than your name, date of birth, where you live, social security number, all that kind of stuff, they don't have to read you your rights. The arrest affidavits on warrant cases are literally one line. Record check revealed open warrant subject arrested. And that's it. Infinity Sky Blue, you're awesome. Thanks for coming in. What can be filed to stop your wife from moving a child outside of a stable home, but no divorce filed? Let me tell you, when you're when you're dealing with spouses and you're you're negotiating stuff outside of court and a case has never been filed, it's extremely difficult. There's a relocation statute in Florida that requires a court order under Chapter 61. To move more than 50 miles a lot of the a lot of people that i see get their cases all screwed up by moving doing you know doing these agreements these verbal agreements and people back out of them and then you end up having to file a case and then it's a miserable mess to deal with not to mention expensive if you're having problems in a relationship and your spouse wants to move with the kids or take the kids somewhere you need to file a case you need to file for divorce or something you need a court order to protect you to set the ground rules. Good to know about the guns. Yes, yeah, solid is better. Yep. Thank you, Irish. All right, I have a question. My 18-year-old son got pulled over and they started searching his car without his consent. Okay. When it comes to cars, cars are different than houses. 
because they're pervasively regulated. They have to be registered and all this other stuff. And you have less of an expectation of privacy in a car. In order to search a car, an officer has, has to have probable cause to believe there's contraband in the car. It can be incident to arrest or it can be through consent. Most, the great majority, more than most of the cases are through consent or consent issues. So if you don't, if they don't have consent, they have to have probable cause to search the car or, or you know, luggage in the car, stuff in the car, boxes in the car, they have to have probable cause for it. Uh, thank you so much for your knowledge. I love to share it. It's my job to share it. I have a duty to share it. Do you know, Infinity Blue Sky, do you know, do you know, do I know what? All right, losing it, 333. Do you ever talk to the police? There's two times we talk to the police. When you're lost and you need tickets for the policeman's ball. That's the only time you talk to the police. Do search warrants have limits? Like, do they expire? No. Search, oh, search, search, arrest warrants have no limits. Search warrants, search warrants are limited. When you do a search warrant, the officer does an affidavit, sends it to the judge along with the search warrant. The judge reviews it for probable causes, issues the warrant. They can go out and serve that warrant at any time. Usually they want to serve the warrant right away. Okay. The warrants are, are limited into where they could search. They have to have probable cause for what they can search for. So let's say they want to search your house for a riding lawnmower and they think you have a riding lawnmower in your house. So they could search, they could search any place the riding lawnmower could be. They could search your garage, you know, they could search your living room because you could put a riding lawnmower in your living room, but they can't search in your dresser drawer because you can't fit a riding lawnmower in your dresser drawer. Um, like in a home, so I guess that's where that's you know, they have they have that probable cause for what they're searching, and what they're searching for must be contained within that space like they can't look in your dresser your sock drawer your dresser drawer for the riding lawnmower all right about the expungement of a felony charge you can in florida you can seal or expunge a charge if it's if you've been found not guilty um the case has been dismissed or adjudication has been withheld on most cases if you look on the fdle website they'll tell you specifically what crimes cannot be expunged some of them can't be expunged no matter what the policeman's ball yeah that's the only time you talk to the cops you're lost or you need tickets to the policeman's ball all right i wish you had an office in pasco county i've handled one case in my life in pasco county out at the um what's that courthouse it's way out east i can't remember it was like years ago anyway it was a family law case a straight felony. What do you mean by straight felony? I don't know. Will a certified mediation agreement be valid in a divorce case prior to filing? Yeah, you can Dade City. That's the that's that's where in Pasco County, Dade City. Um, yeah, you can do you can you can you can put your whole divorce case together. You can have a settlement agreement, a marital settlement agreement that's mediated by a mediator as well as a parenting plan, have all that executed. Go down with the petition, the, the answer and waiver, all in the same day, file all that together, and then set your hearing. And sometimes you can get your hearing the next week, depending upon the time of year and how busy the court is, usually within 30 days. All right. Do you drive at Biggest Mike, or do you drive there when you are there? All right. Last question. I missed the first part. Do you have an office in Fort? I'm guessing you're asking Fort Lauderdale, or do you drive there when you were there? My office is in downtown Miami on Burkle, 801 Burkle Avenue. And I, I, I live in between, like almost exactly halfway between the main Dade County courthouses and the Broward County courthouses. So if I have a case in the morning, you know, I just drive up to Broward. Uh, Palm Beach is a little bit further away. But yeah, I drive. I don't have an office in Fort Lauderdale. I used to have one in Plantation, and then I moved to Miami years and years ago and stuck down and stayed down in Miami because I'm a Miami native. Uh, how serious is a felony number six, Southern Bell? I'm guess you're asking because the Georgia, or I'm sorry, the Virginia possession of a, I think it was, I read a possession of a magazine that can hold more than 12 rounds or something is a class six felony. We don't have those in Florida. We have first, second, and third degree felonies, and that's it. I don't know how they do their uh their felony classes in the state of virginia 
All right. If you didn't, if you didn't fulfill a deferred adjudication in a criminal case, they can reactivate your criminal case and you can go through it all over again. <sighs> Toronto man, is marriage worth it or should you just stay common law? Florida has no common law marriage. So you can, you can live with somebody as long as you want. If you're not legally married, there is no common law that applies here. And that's a decision, you know, whether it's worth it or not, that's a decision you have to make. I went that route one time. I got divorced one time and I plan to keep it that way. Um, you know, I can, what I can tell you is divorce, divorce is a business decision. Divorce is all about money and nothing else. All right. I think that's it for the TikTok questions. Let's go back over to YouTube and see if I have any more. Andrews, most lawyers, I think most lawyers should do this. It's very informative. I agree with you. Do you know anything about Arizona and sealing your record? I have no clue what goes on in Arizona. I know in Florida, the expungement, the counties, um, Broward County, Dade County for sure, Palm Beach County too, I think. They have clinics fairly regularly about how to seal and expunge your case. You know, some lawyers will charge you, you know, I was surprised when I found out what the fees were for um, expungement and sealings. You know, some ceiling. Some lawyers will charge you know five hundred or a thousand dollars, but you could basically—it's a very easy process. You could do it yourself for one hundred and twenty-five, which are fees paid to everybody else, the FDLE and the clerk of the court. And they have these clinics in Dayton, Broward, and Palm Beach where you go in and they'll show you how to do it. And uh, usually, when I see those, they when I see those come up in the courthouse, I'll make a notification of that. So if you follow me on social media, um. If you follow me on TikTok, Instagram, you know, the Magic City Lawyer, uh, my Facebook business page, Losses of Patrick J. McGeehan. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as Patrick McGeehan. Uh, I'm on Snapchat as well as Tumblr and as the Magic City Lawyer. And I'm on Twitter as PJ McGeehan Law. If you follow me on those platforms, I'll announce when they have those clinics. Another clinic they have is if you have a suspended driver's license and you just got like a ton of tickets, they have clinics every so often that will you go to and they'll work it out so that you can take care of all that mess that you have and they'll get you driving again. I send clients to those clinics all the time and they've all walked out with driver's license after having license suspended for years. All right, Lori says I didn't answer her question and I can't remember what your question was and I don't see it as I scroll back here. So if you ask it again, I'll try to make it a point to answer it. Um, I know as far as as far as the driver's license clinic goes, Broward has one coming up on Saturday, February 29th from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. So if you have if you and it's only for county residents, if you live in Broward County and you currently have a suspended license because of unpaid tickets or unaddressed tickets, um, make sure you go there and you can get your license reinstated and work out a payment plan or something with them where, where they'll, they'll reinstate your license. And like I said, I've had clients go to it where nobody's ever, none of my clients have never not walked out with a license on the ones I sent to. All right. If your spouse purchases a home on her own and needs your signature at closing, if you buy anything while you're married, it's marital property. Okay. A lot of people, a lot of people, get screwed up with like cars and stuff is what I see a lot. Um, you know, somebody will go out and buy a new Mercedes and then they'll file for divorce. But if your husband or your wife goes out and buys that new Mercedes, they just bought you half of Mercedes. The unfortunate part is, is they, if they got a loan on it, you're also liable for a loan on the Mercedes. If you're married, if they didn't put your name on the loan, you're much better off because now you can negotiate that away. All right, to Irish, what are you asking me here to advance your business? I don't get it. Was it that I missed part of the question? Let's go back and see, because I always have to address my girl Irish here. All right, Irish, ask me again because I don't, I'm not understanding that. All right, Lori, I'm 43. My step to 43. I mean, if. You, if he was like, if he was sexually abusive, you could go back. I don't know if the state would file a rape case that old, but you, you could go to the state authorities and see if they would file the case. Can you be held responsible? I already answered that. You're when you're married, you're responsible. You're partly responsible for your spouse's death that they incur. 
So don't marry somebody who's a spendthrift that goes out and spends crazy money. All right, back to YouTube. Is there a certain amount of time you have to wait to seal your record after it happens? Not in Florida. I mean, my clients, I always include seal on eligible cases and applicable cases. I always include sealing and expunging in the attorney's fees where most attorneys do it separately. I always include that because it's a very easy process. You fill out a petition, you fill out a proposed order, and you do an affidavit, you go down and file it, and the judges sign them in mass. It's very, it's very easy. In Florida, it costs for the certificate, it costs $75 that you pay to FDLE. The big thing on sealing and expungent is it takes forever to get the certificates back from FDLE. They're currently running about eight months behind. But once you get that certificate back, you file the petition, the order, and the affidavit with the court, you pay them 42 bucks, they send it to the judge, the judge will just sign off, and then they'll they'll mail you the order and magically one day you go to check your case and it'll be gone. All right. I'm glad you had a good time, Miami fan. Come back again every Wednesday at six. Make sure you guys follow me on social media on YouTube. I am your South Florida lawyer, Patrick McGeehan. Um, I have a couple, I have a group on Facebook, which is ask a Florida lawyer group. It's a closed group. So we can, you know, we could be a lot more, a lot more involved in the answering of questions there. Um, you could put in there and, and go on, um, you know, apply to go on or request to join the group and I'll approve you. I'm also on Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok, and LinkedIn. And if you follow me, if you're especially if you're local in South Florida, if you follow me on those platforms, I give a lot of information out about stuff that happens local that may be a benefit for you. All right, biggest fan, glad, glad you enjoyed it. How much is your total cost on expungement? Like I said, I do that. I do that as part of my legal fees, so it's nothing additional. All right. I think that's it. I think I hit everybody's questions. I don't see any that I missed. We're at the hour mark. And I was glad I was able to do this on both YouTube and um and TikTok, because TikTok is one of my favorite platforms. TikTok and LinkedIn now is one of the platforms that I'm, I'm most active on, as well as my Facebook group and page. Um, feel free to join me on any of the uh, on any of the platforms for social media. I appreciate it. I love I love my followers. I love my friends, and you know, I try to interact and engage and just give you an idea of what it's like being a lawyer down here in Miami and the types of cases that I handle. Um, thanks. Thanks for joining in. Like I said, every Wednesday at six o'clock, I'm going to try to do this on YouTube and TikTok. Um, Iris, Iris, you didn't get ghosted. I didn't catch the whole question, girl. You're going to have to ask it again. And, you know, you can DM me because you, you DM me before. I think you DM me before, but I know I know you follow me on other platforms. So just DM me your question. I'll be happy to answer it. Can I use reasonable suspicion to jail people? No, you can use that as a basis for a stop. Sometimes um, arrests are required, probable causes required for arrest. All right, I think I got everybody. Um, thanks, I know. I'm very humbled that this many people came in. I had a bunch of people on TikTok. I had, let me see how many I have on. I think I had three or four on YouTube. This is the fourth episode of my Law and Life podcast. It's a live podcast. It'll be later. It'll be on my YouTube channel. So if you came like halfway in, you can catch the rest of it on, on my YouTube channel. And I'll post a link to it on all my social media platforms. And my Shine Navajo had just come in. My girl from out, out in uh, Arizona on the Navajo reservation who says she's going to teach me Navajo, but I had to learn my Navajo on my own, and she never practices Navajo with me. How are you tonight? It's good to see you on here. I haven't seen a lot of videos from you lately. I saw a couple last week, I think it was, but I haven't seen any from you lately. That's my girl, Shine Navajo. She'll always be my TikTok buddy. All right, so if that's it, I'm going to be out of here. Um, any questions that come up about anything we discussed, you can feel free to uh, email me or DM me on any of the platforms. If you want to email me, it's patrick at pjmlawyer.com. I have a lot of, um, 
a lot of resources regarding domestic violence, DUI, and you know other types of legal resources on my website, which is www. I don't even think we need to say that anymore, but pjmlawyer.com is my website, and there's a lot of stuff on there. And you can email me or call the office through the website if you need to. I appreciate everybody joining in and chiming in. I hope I got everybody's questions answered. Like I said, if I had a, if I have a, if you have a question that I wasn't able to answer, feel free to DM or email me and, and I'll pick it up, you know, either through DM or email. If it's a really good question, I'll include it in, in next week's live podcast. Thanks a bunch. I appreciate it. Y'all are the best. Thank <laughs> you.